that inter interdisciplinary teaching and what we learn because that did set the foundation is honestly what I have always felt is the right way to approach teaching. Yeah. Um, it's the right way to, to um, prepare our students for the future in whatever job that they may land because of all those interdisciplinary connections. It also makes it meaningful for the students and they understand the why behind, oh, why do I have to learn this math concept? Right. Why do I have to write this way? Well, because we have to communicate. Why do we have to collaborate in a group as we're grappling with ideas? That's what we do when we go into the real world. And what a better way to um, approach teaching of our next generation by doing it in the schools rather than doing it in isolated classrooms and in isolated contents. Hi, I'm Katie Martin, and this is the Learner-Centered Collaborative Podcast. I'm an author, mom, educator, and lifelong learner on a mission to create authentic, inclusive, and equitable learning experiences that puts learners at the center. At the Learner-Centered Collaborative, we are guided by the persistent truth that a learner-centered approach is the foundation for a successful, thriving learning community. We are passionate about transforming visions for learning into actionable practices that positively impact learners and learning. During our time together, we'll explore challenges in education today, set ambitious goals for what is possible, and make space to celebrate the bright spots along the way. I'll share vetted practices and strategies that I hope will inform, inspire, and ignite your learner-centered journey. Together, we can empower all learners to actively engage in the world as their best selves. Let's get started. All right, welcome to the Learner Centered Collaborative Podcast. I am your host, Katie Martin, and my guest today is Tina Meglich, principal of Conway Elementary School in Escondido Union School District. I am so excited to hear about Tina's journey and more about Conway. So welcome to the podcast, Tina. Thank you, Katie. I'm really happy to be here. Great. So let's kick it off with a question to get a little bit more insight into who you are. Um, what are some of the key experiences that have shaped who you are as a leader today? The choice to go into education was, was one that I think I made when I was very young in my own neighborhood teaching school. But I actually think one of the biggest um, influences was actually middle school and it wasn't a positive experience and that was one of the reasons why I actually ended up um, at the middle uh, at the middle level for so many years in particular it was a math um, class and um, and that entire year was the most painful year in math for me ever with um, just a lot of comments that really made it feel like I was never going to be good at math. Having a dad who um, had no voice and I was his oldest, oldest always believed that I was really good in math. As an engineer too, he very much pushed um, his three girls. And so little by little, it just, you know, it started to come. But that experience to the this very day has stuck with me. And because of that, never wanted any other student to have that experience, especially during their junior high or middle school years, when those years are tough enough for our students, that I felt that was where I needed to needed to be. 
Um, and then that led me to, you know, pursuing an educational degree and, and whatnot. Was a middle, uh, started off in, as a high school teacher and absolutely loved that. But then I was really drawn to those um, middle schoolers and ended up at, um, at middle school here in Escondido for um, about 10 years. During that time, taught sixth, seventh, and eighth. Love my students, love that age group. And I know that there are a few of us that absolutely love that age group. I'm but with you. <laughs> all their, right, the emotions that go with, um, with those times, the confusion, but also the learning because some incredible innovation comes during that time because students are really trying to figure out who they are. Some of those ideas, because they're still... It's, they're still not, you know, they're still not fully developed, but they have some of those very, very creative ideas that you can really, really ignite during those times and really connect with kids um, when they when they really need strong, um, strong folks that can really support them and build those relationships with them. So I love being a teacher. Um, I approach everything I do as a teacher first. From that experience, I ended up being an instructional coach for about five years, again, with a middle school focus, um, actually during the very challenging, exciting times of implementing Common Core. Mm -hmm. So during that time, it also challenged me to, to really think outside the box and how to really do this work that was meaningful, but also authentic and being very vulnerable because I had no idea what I was doing um, as we were implementing Common Core um, and being okay with that discomfort and allowing our teachers and, and educators during that time to, to feel the discomfort because that was part of the learning that needed to happen. From that, um, went into admin. And that's been almost, gosh, 10 years also, because I've been here at Conway for eight as a principal, but I was an assistant principal for two years at a middle school. And um, and during those two years as a middle school assistant principal, I tried to make that the shortest part of my career because <laughs> discipline is not my thing. Restorative practices 100% are, and giving kids that opportunity to learn from the, those mistakes was something that was very close to my heart, but really... For me, it's always been about curriculum instruction and those relationships with students, but also kind of drawing on our students' talents and the assets that they bring to inspire them to achieve more than they think possible. Fortunately, I was at a middle school that had implemented um, project-based learning. And so that was also very close to my heart because when things are cross-curricular, right, you can create and you can do such um, amazing work with students when they see those connections and we're not teaching in isolation because everything is connected. That's how the world works. It is. Um, and so that was a blessing. I just see, like, I'm listening to you. I'm like, yes, yes, so many connections. And I think as we were talking about before, being at the middle level program. So we found out that both of us started our teacher preparation at Cal State San Marcos middle level education program. And I have said many times that it was one of the best learning experiences of my life. It set the foundation because that program modeled interdisciplinary teaching and learning. 
we focused on students, we did authentic projects, we were in classrooms working with students, coming back and refining our lessons based on what we learned and testing out new ideas um, and focusing on relationships. We talked about Janet and Lori and Erica, the professors, like they came in, they always focused on relationships, you know, classrooms with, we had classroom jobs and they modeled all the practices that I to this day still carry out. And so I'm listening to you hear about, and like how you're talking about those, those through lines that have also been part of your career. And it just makes me realize how important those preparation programs are because so often we hear how bad teacher education is. And so I'm always such an advocate to highlight they don't have to be, and there are models out there that are really, really, and have been for many years, leading the way and supporting teachers. And I believe I've had a very successful career because I got off on the right foot with the foundations. And it sounds like you you feel the same way based on your preparation and the through line. You knew the kids, you knew what to prepare, and you you felt successful in the middle because of it. Absolutely. Everything that you just said, I absolutely connected with. And also just, I hadn't really thought about it, that inter interdisciplinary teaching and what we learned, because that did set the foundation is honestly what I have always felt is the right way to approach teaching. Yeah. Um, it's the right way to, to um, prepare our students for the future in whatever job that they may land because of all those interdisciplinary connections. It also makes it meaningful for the students and they understand the why behind, oh, why do I have to learn this math concept? Right. Why do I have to write this way? Well, because we have to communicate. Why do we have to collaborate in a group as we're grappling with ideas? That's what we do when we go into the real world. And what a better way to um, approach teaching of our next generation by doing it in the schools rather than doing it in isolated classrooms and in isolated contents. But it does go all back to that middle level program, which I'm so grateful that that's the path I took. And that path I took because it circles back to that story I told you about my own middle school experience yep. where I never wanted any student to feel that feeling of I'm inadequate. I can't do this. I'm never going to be good at math. Well, it wasn't just about the math. It was about everything else and all those different areas and, and all those connections, which now as an elementary principal, oh my gosh, you need it all, all of those skills. Right. And well, so, like you said, you, you know, got to teach high school. And so, you know, middle school philosophy, I have come to believe is really just good foundations for teaching and learning across the whole K-12 continuum and applies to our adult learners as well. If we really think about interdisciplinary relationships, you know, application to the real world, a community that honors and values the strengths of each um, each other. All of those things, you're right, are so ingrained and so applicable across all of the grade levels. You just said something that really just kind of sparked um, when you said it, uh, a community that honors all that is exactly what I feel that we've been building here at Conway with our, it is project-based learning, but specifically it's expeditionary learning, which 
it, that is the foundation. The foundation is it's we're a community of learners that um, that work together. It, everything is interdisciplinary. All of their expeditions have some type of real world connection. Every single expedition is interdisciplinary. Every expedition has some kind of service component to it. And every expedition has an opportunity for our students to share their learning and showcase their learning to make a greater impact beyond the school um, itself. And I cannot um, believe I was so lucky to land here at Conway because this is the type of work that we've been doing for the last eight years. Our students are thriving, but it's not just our students, our teachers are thriving too because it's all about tapping into their own talents and the assets that they bring and how do you grow those so that everyone is shining, not just our students, but our, our staff as well. I can attest to that. So people listening might be thinking, oh yeah, we do that too. Conway is an extremely special place for many of the reasons you just shared, but your longevity as a leader, the systems you've been able to put in place. But eight years ago, when you landed at Conway, uh, I'm assuming it looked a little bit different than it does today in 2023. So I'd love for you to kind of unpack a little bit of the journey. What are the things that you've done as a community to get to this place where you have authentic projects, you have a community that's working together, you have young people leading tours and talking about their work that they're doing and why it matters to them and others. Take us through a little bit of how you got there. Sure. First, I never... If you would have asked me when I first started my career, would I ever land at an elementary school? And I would have said, absolutely not, because the truth, truth be told, I was scared to death of the littles, <laughs> scared to death to go into any primary classroom. And so I wasn't sure. But what I was sure about is when I um, landed here at Conway, I knew that they had started this journey. They were actually one year into um, expeditionary learning. So I cannot take credit for bringing this model to, um, to Conway. The previous principal had been exploring different um, educational models. And so she landed on expeditionary learning. She started that work with um, with the staff as far as this is what we're going to be doing and, and embarking on this journey. And the staff was really fired up about it. And then she moved on. So when I arrived, I arrived with absolutely no elementary experience whatsoever. So the first thing I did have to learn is how to recalibrate my own leadership style because elementary sites are very different than the middle school site. That was the first lesson when people started crying when I would approach them. So that was something I had to learn about myself. Not the students, the adults, right? <laughs> it was the adults. You're absolutely right. So I had to recalibrate. That was my first lesson. But I did read about expeditionary learning and I had no idea of, I, I'd never heard of it before. I've heard of a lot of different educational models. I was familiar with project-based learning because my Previous site had been uh, really kind of engaging in some project-based learning, but when I read their core practice book, that was the one piece that I was blown away by, oh my gosh, this is everything I believe in, which a lot of it was um, established and that foundation was set through the middle level program because it was all interdisciplinary. Uh, but it also took it to a different level. Um, the foundation of CREW, which is um, relational character building, 
and now that becomes um, such a crucial piece of a site was, was part of the model. And there was another component, part of the model that really spoke to me. And that is the um, dimension that we refer to as high quality work, which high quality work you cannot get to without that constant ongoing iteration process, the ongoing feedback that happens, not just from teacher to student, but that feedback that happens from peer to peer and students being able to recognize okay, there could be some improvement here. There could be some uh, other improvement here. That process itself is how we refine our own work. That's how we promote that reflection and how we get better at whatever it is that we're, what, that we're doing. Mm -hmm. And so when I first came to Conway, yes, I came. The model was had already, the, that foundation had been set as far as the staff really excited. The staff, truth be told, was really angry because all of a sudden their leader's gone and then this new person's coming in and who's this person coming in. So I recognized a couple of things um, that year one. One, there was a lot of things that were happening here at the site. The first thing we had to do was establish our vision. There was no vision. And so um, together with the staff, um, we did come up with um, our vision, which is that all learners will discover their unlimited potential through excellence, perseverance, integrity, and compassion. That EPIC, that EPIC, lives throughout the entire school in many different forms. We also use that as the focus of our, of our relational character development. And so we really named what that looked like as far as, as a scholar and as an active citizen in um, our classrooms. Year one, um, we had our motto. And our, our motto usually as an expeditionary learning school is we are crew, not passengers. And that's still part of who we are. But we actually added a, a second motto that year. And it was, we had to simplify to unify. There were so many ideas that were happening. There were so many, you know, different initiatives that had been started or spoken about, but it was too much. And if I learned anything from going through Cal State San Marcos was when I was in the leadership program, Dr. Um, Harry Weins Weinberg um, had said, you know, go slow to go fast. And I knew that that year we had to really hit the pause on a lot of different things that were happening at the site because we had to first simplify to make sure that our staff crew was unified in moving forward with this vision. So year after year, we kept adding to what we call our action plan or our work plan. Year one was simplify to unify, really focus on what EPIC looks like and sounds like in every single one of our classrooms as far as as a scholar and as an active citizen. We, um, we really had to live what our vision was like and we had to focus on relationships first because if we didn't have that foundation of character development and the relationship, there was no way that we were going to do the hard work and the heavy lifting that we had to do. Right. When I came to um, Conway that first year, we were the lowest performing school out of the 24 schools in our district. Our math scores that year were at 8% proficiency. And I think um, language arts was something like 14%. Can I ask what they yeah. are now? We are sitting right around um, for both about 45%. For and how does that compare to the district? We're outperforming the district. So that, that feels pretty darn good. We're not done yet and, and, um, and we're going to continue to grow. But the reality is half of our students, 50% of our students are language learners, are multilingual learners. And so that was something that 
I recognize we really had to focus on. And so from year one, part of our, our action plan really included that academic um, discourse across the um, entire school. So we actually created uh, what we call these academic discourse mats that really focus on what does language look like in our classrooms. From that, that grew. The next year, we actually focused on what extended discourse is because everyone can give our students sentence frames, right? And they can build on that. And, um, and if they see it, they're going to use it. But how are they really going to apply it to extend their thinking and their learning and be able to articulate that? And that's when our focus that next year actually changed to extended discourse. And we will really talk through what does that look like for our students? How do they build on each other's ideas? How do they recognize, oh, that's a conversation cue. I can add to that. And so that's been a key component to the work that we've that's happened here at Conway. Yeah. And I want to just jump in and kind of emphasize that one of the things, you know, you've mentioned a few core pieces that you've had, you know, crew, the relationship building, the authentic learning, the the academic discourse. So two things I noticed, there's structures in place that you've put in place that everyone understands so that you that model can exist for all students. It's not just dependent upon one classroom and one teacher and what they wanna do, but there is a model across all classrooms that is interdependent so that each and every student gets that experience. And the academic discourse and students taking ownership, I wasn't there you know, nine years ago to see where it started, but I do know walking through all of your classrooms today, the students are the ones doing the work. They're the ones having discussions. They're the ones who are engaging in work and collaborating with their peers. And teachers are pulling small groups. They're facilitating feedback discussions. But that shift from teachers doing the work and guiding and pulling all the students along the model to students really taking ownership is a key piece. And you know, as you talked about test scores being really low, Something I've been constantly reflecting on is as a language arts teacher myself in middle school, um, that was something we really struggled with low literacy rates across the entire um, school. And as I became a coach, I noticed that the kids weren't doing the reading, right? So of course they weren't going to be able to perform or show how they could read and make informed, you know, decisions or critically think about um, a passage because they had spent all year just listening to someone else tell them what the answer was instead of wrestling with text and making meaning so they were comfortable doing it in another context. And that's what I had seen at Conway is students being able to wrestle with information, text, talk to each other, make informed decisions and actually apply what they're learning in authentic, meaningful contexts. And that's exactly what you're supposed to see, Katie, when you walk through. <laughs> it is, I mean, and that's a piece, but, but I think that making that explicit to people who might be listening and thinking, I wanna do that. I, you know, and, and not being able to see how is that possible in my current context when kids, you know, levels of literacy are so low or their agency is so low or motivation is low you might have an educator or a principal listening saying i'd love to do what tina's doing at conway 
I just don't see the path to get there, um, you know, or I don't see that's not possible in my context. And I think what you're highlighting is these structures, alignment can help get there. So no, I want to ask two more questions specifically. Crew, I think, is an important principle. Sometimes we call it advisory, different things. So can you talk about crew and how that really functions as a foundation of the school model? So crew is, it's part of the expeditionary learning model, but it is, it takes place um, actually multiple times. So it's not just during advisory. Every single um, classroom starts off in crew, creating our master schedule. And when you say structures, yep. absolutely includes crew. There is a built-in time every single day that starts the day with crew. Teachers will also pull crew, and these are, they could be either a restorative circle, it could be a morning meeting structure. We do have a structure that we do follow for crew that starts off with the reading, greeting initiative, and then a closing. So that model is in place um, for teachers to develop crew. We also spent a lot of time creating crew lessons around excellence, perseverance, integrity, and compassion. And we had a scope and sequence for the year as far as when um, these are going to be led in classrooms. Crew is a place where students can feel heard. It's a place where they can lead crew as well, especially in many of our older classes. Students are the ones that are leading those crew meetings. Crew also ends our days on Friday. It's our closing crew for the week where students reflect on their goals that they have set for the week. This is where it is a beautiful thing. They give each other feedback. If they are rating themselves, so we have um, these structures in place from TK through third grade, they use a thumbometer. So a thumbs up, sideways thumb or downwards. That's just a structure that we have in every single classroom. And so they will rate themselves on whatever those goals are. They're super transparent. They'll share what they are. But students will also hold each other accountable. And if someone's giving themselves, you know, a thumbs up, they will say, well, remember when you didn't show compassion out on the playground the other day? And then they will reflect on, oh, yeah, you're right. Maybe I'm here, but I did learn I should have done this. Same thing in our upper grades. We use a fist of five, five being they, they rocked it for the week. They are harder on themselves oftentimes, and they might rate themselves a three or a four. And I have heard in these um, closing crew meetings where students will say, well, no, I think you actually were a four or a five because I remember when you did this. Or remember how you persevered on that essay when we were um, in the middle of writing our reflections for um, that's Esperanza Rising on one of their um, chapters, and they will share that with each other. And that is when it becomes really powerful. So yes, crew is a structure where we can run um, restorative um, circles sometimes. It's a place for our students to be heard. They can lead crew. Um, we use crew also if there's been a conflict out at recess time, a teacher will pull a crew meeting right after recess to kind of address whatever that is, because our teachers have learned if our students' brain isn't downshifted, right, from all the research that we've done, they're not going to be a in a place to learn at that time. I like how you just said the research. So what you've done is you've created structures that align to the research around how we learn, the social emotional context, because we can say that all the time. We know kids need to reflect. We know they need to set goals. We know they need to have time to build community. They need to figure out how to deal with conflict. But so often it's not part of the schedule. It's 
you know, left up to individual teachers to, you know, rush through the content to get to those pieces. So being intentional as a school leader and community and saying we value these things, they need to be part of our model to be successful. And it is not simply just a, ma a matter of getting through the curriculum. Absolutely. Absolutely. And then putting a master schedule in place absolutely supports that. So when when I often would hear, we just don't have time in the day. We, we don't have time to do that. What would that look like? I'm like, oh, I'm really good at schedules. I can figure that out. And so when we do that and when we respond to what we're hearing mm -hmm. um, and you put that structure in place, then everyone is doing it. So crew has been really the foundation. I also run my staff meetings in a crew. So we start in circle, we end in circle. And I don't ask our teachers to do anything in their classroom that I don't do with them. I, and that's so been really important. That was one of my big questions. So professional learning, right? We hear like staff meetings and all these ideas that, you know, that staff meeting could have been an email, like give us an example of what are the structures in place for teachers to collaborate and learn um, that really supports your model. I do draw on my leadership team. So I do have two leadership teams here and, um, and that happened, I would say, I think that was year two that I was here. We just had an ILT initially that really was charged with doing everything. But what I realized was that was too much for um, for just one group. So I broke it up. We have an ILT that really is focused on curriculum assessment and instruction. That is where they live. And as we are responding to the needs of the site, we actually um, plan out our, our entire, almost our entire year of professional learning. That happens over the summer when we, um, during our leadership retreat, where we, um, we look at what our site goals are for the year mm -hmm. and plan that out. I do not lead it. I really lean on my um, teacher leaders and we are really intentional as to when certain work has to happen. Early on, there was a lot of work where we were putting those cohesive structures in place, like learning targets were huge for us. How do we craft those learning targets? How do we create learning targets for scholarly and for the active citizen? Because those have to go hand in hand. Mm -hmm. We did a lot of that with the extended discourse work early on. How do we teach and how do we build teacher capacity around what does extended discourse really look like and sound like? Uh, it's not just having those sentence frames up. How do we know that students are truly building on each other's ideas? And how do we question to help them move along and move their thinking along? And then how do we teach our students to do that? So professional learning is not just me, it's our entire staff. Our second leadership team is called CLT and CLT is charged with, the C is actually three C's, it's culture, climate, and character. So they really live under that work. They, anything that has to do with the culture of the site, the character, the relational character development work, and then the climate of the site. That is where that work um, lives. We are a PBIS district, mm -hmm. so they are also the PBIS team. And so they do all that work, but it is a different group of leaders. And what's interesting is those leaders are very different than my ILT leaders. And so, um, so that is something I've been able to leverage their strengths right. And what leadership team that they can sit on to really lead that work. So, and they collaborate together, right? So the culture team is still leveraging what the team, the ILT, the instructional leadership team is working on and vice versa. The instructional leadership team leverages the work of the culture team. Absolutely. 
Absolutely. And so, um, and, but having our action plan, um, complete at the beginning of the year and what those site goals are is how we kind of progress through the year. And we do um, pivot sometimes during the year when we see certain areas where we're like, oh, we really need to do a little bit deeper work um, in this area. And that for us last year was questioning and really building capacity around teacher questioning to kind of move thinking along. So we had to add that. The other times that um, teachers have to collaborate which happens, um, and it was created through, again, my middle school brain, because I came from middle school and working on middle school schedules, is I use my Title I funds to, to fund impact teachers here. Um, and so that was something coming into the site where I was really looking at how how are we going to really move the needle here? We need to be able to provide that time for our teachers to collaborate, to do the kind of work that I need them to do um, to make an impact. And so through site funding, I have a STEM teacher and I also have a full-time art teacher, but they're, they're initially they were only 50% positions and that's all they did. Later on, they were turned into 100% positions because in the morning uh, or part of their day, they're actually my intervention teachers and they've been trained in um, Orton-Gillingham and so they support those intervention groups. So when the students are going to them, to these specials, mm -hmm. which is art and STEM, and then we also have a library um, cell rotation in there that my um, that my school counselor will also lead. When the students are with them doing this amazing work, the teachers are coming together and collaborating. So they have an additional 60 minutes uh, once a week, in addition to Thursday. So Thursdays are 60 minutes of collaboration time. And then it's our, our 75 minute staff meeting followed because we have an early release Thursday and we time bank on Thursday as well. So we were able to create these different um, times for our teachers to collaborate. Around that, we also created a structure as far as what their collaboration looks like. And so every team has a note catcher and a way to set their goals so that that time is really about the curriculum instruction. That time is not about planning field work or we have you know this event coming up. It's really about curriculum and instruction. So if I'm hearing you, you have a clear school model that has not changed, right? You have your vision, you have your model, and yearly you set goals on what the next steps are. And then your ILT and CLT teacher leaders are part of co-constructing what learning looks like for the educators that year based on your goals and the collective needs. And then you've built in structures for team for the staff to come together during your staff meeting where they're discussing these goals where you're they're led by teachers and then you have collaboration with structure but autonomy for teachers to do what they need yeah you've got it and Sounds there, there's one huge um component there within that how do we know that we're on the right track and how do we know that um that we're going in the right direction because you have to put in that progress monitoring. It's like you have my questions in front of you. <laughs> you I didn't even give you my questions, but that's exactly what I was going to ask you. What does success look like? How do you measure success? 
Um, it is through that progress monitoring. So we do have those structures also built in place. Um, I set goals with teachers around um, and their academic, but also character related goals and high quality work goals for us. So we can measure some of it with um, like with iReady testing. And so we do have goals set around that. We, we go through a data inquiry cycle or um, PDSAs is what we had been using um, in the past to progress monitor that. But I also involve my leadership team in um, learning walks. So they go on learning walks with me um, throughout the year. Actually, we have another one coming up and they always have a, um, a guiding question that's attached to that. And we together as a leadership team come together and we choose the indicators. These are the indicators that we're going to measure this year. We have baseline data and they're always stressed about that first learning walk for the year because, you know, I let them know this is our baseline data, guys. We're not right. going to be there until the end of the year and it is okay and it's messy and we're not going to like it and it's uncomfortable, but that's what we're focused on. And if you set easy goals, you wouldn't be growing, right? That's right. And that's, and that, and that is the one thing that those lofty goals is what's helped us move forward. Um, and this year, our lofty goals really center around small group instruction, because we've, we've made it to where we are right now, as far as the academic goals. But we know for us to really keep moving and growing is we're going to have to personalize learning even deeper for our students based on what they need. And so this year, that's what our learning walks look like is um, I involve different um, members from our ILT and our CLT. And it's only two because it's really hard to take them all at one time. Um, and we do a slice of the school. And that looks, we look at every single classroom, one classroom from every single grade level to see where we are. Right after that, we draft the, uh, we look at the data because we do collect the data based on those indicators. And then Together, we co-construct the feedback that's going out to the site. So it's not just coming from me. It's coming from their peers and different teacher leaders um, for us to, to continue to grow. That has been a common practice. And I would say probably one of the highest leverage practices for us from the very beginning. But the key has been involving my teacher leaders. I love it. Talk to me a little bit about the assessment practices at Conway. What what do students do to demonstrate their own growth? You talked about setting goals, you talked about feedback, but what are the assessment structures that that you're leveraging to know if students are on that path to mastery and growth? Right. Well, as a district, we do use iReady, which is a, an adapted test that measures um, reading and math we take that three times a year um and students do set goals um, around that school-wide we also set goals and this year it's a pretty lofty goal our goal is that 60 percent of our classrooms are going to meet their um their growth goals mid-year and so that's their typical growth in january okay. not at the end of the year our other goal is that 60% of our students are going to meet their stretch growth by the end of the year, because that's the only way that we are going to um, make all that catch-up growth that we need to um, we need to make. And those are pretty lofty goals for us. So we do look at that and we measure that three times, um, actually two times a year, because we set them in um, 
in the fall. We will have another kind of look at it in the winter time. And then at the end of the year, um, we take a look at that as well. That's also been a really great indicator for us to let us know how are we going to do on the state assessments and are we on the right track. By mid-year, it allows us to see if we need to pivot to a different area. If we notice, oh, this is what the data is um, telling us right now, what are we missing? So those are some assessments. Obviously with our curriculum, we have mid-modules and end-module assessments, but the teachers also have a common practice of checking for an understanding within their classroom, and they have different structures in place to see where the kids are, and that's just a common practice. We focused on that, I want to say it was like year three, where we really spoke about how are you checking for understanding? How are you providing time for that debrief that is so important at the very end of lesson? for us and being very intentional um, uh, around that. But my favorite way of assessment is through the students. Um, so we hold student-led conferences here twice a year. Mm -hmm. um, when you think of student-led conferences, and I've been at sites in the past where they have student-led conferences, but I will say that I believe at Conway they are they look different and they're very authentic. Our students are invested in really really setting those goals based on where they are and being okay where they are, but setting um, those, uh, those personalized goals for themselves because they, they know that they're the ones that are going to be held accountable for sharing it to not just their parents or whoever they whoever they invite to their conferences. Sometimes it could be me. Sometimes it's guests that come to visit our site and our students can go through their entire portfolio and share their progress of learning. They're also very reflective if they haven't met a goal as far as identifying what are those steps that they're going to have to take to really um, meet that goal. So that's where that intrinsic motivation starts to come in for our students is because those conferences are huge for us. And I can tell you that 99% of our families attend our student-led conferences. I love it because the students are taking ownership and having been had the opportunity to be part of your student-led conferences, they are very cool. Each student, you're right, has their own goals. They have their portfolio. They're talking about their iReady scores. So those aren't just, you know, data points that teachers are using, students are using, but also they're talking about their projects. They're able to articulate how they've grown in um, many other skills and, and talk about their next steps. Um, and just having the opportunity to be able to articulate demonstrates their effective communication um, as well. It's been a really, it's really cool to see. That's great. And it's been great to have you here. The one thing I do want to say with student-led conferences is that took us a good two to three years of really working through what that looks like for us. Because as I said, I've seen student-led conferences, what they could feel like, um, mainly at the middle level, um, those, those ages. And so when I charge our kinder team <laughs> that they were going to hold student-led conferences they initially looked at me like oh my gosh she is like nuts like she thinks that we're middle school 
their student-led conferences are incredible. And the structure that they ended up, um, they became very innovative in how they were going to do it. They do it in a group where all their kids um, are actually leading their conference at the same time. And all the parents are there and they have their own little stations. And then the teacher circulates around and the kids are are doing it. It is the most amazing thing to um to experience. I love but that. I will say student-led conferences take time and there has to be grace in that process of okay this worked this didn't work but the biggest thing that we've learned is that it has to be cohesive because students can't relearn every single year what that process looks like. So we have these again, structures that are in place as far as these are some of the components of a student-led conference that have to be there. And they just go deeper and deeper every year as our students start from TK, which there's a ton of support, right? And then how it grows by the time that they get to sixth grade, where a student will actually go through a passage presentation before they move on to seventh grade. And they can do that completely independent and they are really demonstrating that they are ready to go to seventh grade by the time they um they leave their passage presentation i love that so i'm wondering you've all this experience at conway you've done an incredible job um, but more importantly like you said your teachers and students are thriving what advice would you give to other educational leaders who are thinking about shifting the model of their school and creating more learner-centered practices? You have to give yourself grace. Really listen to um, your staff as far as what do they see? What is their vision as far as changing um, the way that that learning has happened? That is the one thing. Conway Conway has been here since 1966 and I have a very veteran staff and they were working so hard and coming in that first year when I looked at their test scores because I am very data driven and I was I recognized that they were all working way too hard so much harder than the students mm -hmm. and so what is it that you have to do to really shift where students should be working a lot harder than our teachers. And so how do we build teacher capacity around that and being okay with, with the discomfort and the messiness that happens? And I keep going back to that messiness because I was a teacher. I'm a teacher first. We don't like that disorder. Nope. We want to know that here's our lesson plans. This is how my week is planned out and this is how it needs to go. It is okay when it doesn't. And, and that's how learning is messy, right? Learning happens on, you know, different different paths for all young people and the teachers alike. Yes. And so I think that is really the biggest advice is that it is okay for it to um to be messy as long as you have a really solid vision of what it is that you are trying to create and then starting to create um you know, create those benchmarks for yourself as far as what what um, are our goals for this year. And that's it. We might have these goals later on, but you have to just stay focused to what that looks like for every single year and then continue to build. But you always have to circle back to those initial like 
this year, we had to circle back to learning targets as I was walking into the classrooms like, oh, what's happening here? We do a really quick uh, little mini PD around this is what it looks like um, because you always have to continue to circle back to those areas. And the only way you know is by being in classrooms. Love it. All right, we're gonna switch gears to rapid fire. Uh, oh. What is one thing we should stop doing in education? Talking too much. Teach adults talking too much. Yep. What's one thing we should start doing? Allowing our students' voices to be heard. Love it. What should we keep doing? Supporting our, our teachers and building their capacity. Great. What's one thing you are personally focusing on learning right now? Oh, there's so much every day. I learn so much. Um, I'm constantly learning how I can continually be the best leader I can be for my teachers and truly listen. As a principal, when you're the only administrator at a site, you often get caught up in everything that's happening and giving, learning how to give myself permission to stop, pause, and listen. Love that. What's one thing that many people don't know about you? <laughs> this is funny. Um, I applied to the Amazing Race and was a finalist for that. Wow. Impressive. <laughs> a long time ago. Do you have a favorite quote or saying that guides you? Success is helping others succeed. Love that. What's one thing you're grateful for right now? Uh, my family. And we'll close out with your hope for the future of education. My hope is that um, we, we truly can empower our students, our learners, to achieve more than they think possible by really honoring what they're coming to us and allowing them to learn and us getting out of the way. Love it. Tina, thank you. This has been awesome. Thank you for sharing about Conway and helping us kind of get a peek into the journey that's really created an amazing opportunity for lots of young people. Well, thank you so much, Kitty. It was such an honor to be here with you. Hey everyone, thanks for listening to the podcast with Christina Meglich, principal of Conway Elementary. I really enjoyed the conversation and really digging in with Christina about the vision of Conway and her leadership over the last 10 years that have allowed it to continue to grow and build teacher capacity and efficacy to be able to design learning experiences aligned with the vision, but ultimately have some autonomy in their own classrooms and how they work with students and really provide a lot of that ownership um, in the learning experiences and how the school um, runs with the students, even though they're in elementary school. So as I talked with Christina, um, she really reinforced a lot of the things that our team at the Learner Centered Collaborative has been um, seeing as common threads across these schools that have been intentionally designed, whether it's a school from the beginning that is designed toward more learner-centered um, vision of education, 
or a school that's being redesigned, um, similar to, to Vita. Then, um, and I interviewed Eric earlier in the season. And really, there's, there's a clear identity. There's an identity around who we are, what we're trying to accomplish, what outcomes we want for young people. Um, and that identity really drives the school and, and everyone there is very clear, um, internally in this, in the, um, with the the staff and students, but also with the community. So I thought that was very clear at Conway. They were an EL school, an expeditionary learning school. Um, and that framework, um, was very much a part of their identity. The other piece that I think, um, I was really uh, that I love at Conway and that Christina talked about was their um, small learning communities and they call them crew, but there are opportunities for students to be part of some clubs or small groups or some, you know, an advisory where they're with people of multiple age groups. That's their home base where they can come together, solve problems and and really think about the social emotional character building aspect of a school um and where they go when they need help and support from both peers but also adults on campus there was the attention to assessment of competencies beyond academic competencies so they they really attended to their character traits and are making sure that they're holding those up. Assessment went beyond traditional A through F or one, two, three, four. They had student-led conferences that she talked about where young people are really identifying their strengths, their goals, their opportunities. They're curating evidence and they're defending their learning in their student-led conferences. They're talking about their habits. They're talking about their character um, in addition to their grades and really attending to the whole child. So that authentic assessment piece um, that really does go beyond traditional um, standardized metrics and A, B to more of the whole child perspective. Um, and especially when students can be in the center of that. Um, there was the attention to interdisciplinary authentic projects that all kids are doing throughout um, their days and they have time to not just learn the basics and the foundations but really apply them in authentic ways and this is something you can see in different ways across different school designs but their their projects that they were doing um, were attending to high quality beautiful work revision um, over time getting feedback from one another but also doing real meaningful work. And when you walk through the campus, you can see that work is posted and students are really proud of it um, because they, they were part of the process and they know that their work matters. And that connection to beyond the school um, and authentic work is really important. And then another um, aspect that she touched on throughout the podcast was really this idea of building collective efficacy, really building teacher leadership. She had the ILT um, team that was really focused on instruction and teachers were part of that, but also the culture um, 
committee that was really part of attending to what was happening in the school. So Christina is the principal and ultimately responsible, but she had um, she had really meaningful and important ways for teachers to be part of the leadership and give her a pulse on what was happening so that they could design um, the the school day and the experiences and, and solve problems um, as a team. And then that fed into the professional learning. So she mentioned she hasn't really led staff meetings. The teachers do that. They're getting a chance to showcase what's working in their classrooms, get feedback and learn together, which is truly um, teacher leadership and really important for schools um, to be places where not only our young learners thrive, but the educators as well. Um, and again, being on that campus, you can feel that when you walk into the classrooms, people have the same strategies. They have a clear understanding of what their school is about and what they believe in, but teachers have, um, agency in the process, just like the students do. So it was really cool to, um, kind of work through these key components of, um, what makes a learner centered school and how you can design intentionally to move away from that school centered paradigm and one that is much more, um, much more evident of the learner centered paradigm. And Conway is a great example of that. Christina is a um, very humble and thoughtful leader. You can tell she understands the instructional practices and is is a learner herself. Uh, and really just that, that longevity of leadership um, matters a ton. And I think it's you can stay in that position more when you have support and it's really a community-based school. Um, so in a time when many leaders are struggling and... Um, and feeling stressed and overworked, um, I think Christina is a great example, not to say that she doesn't have her moments, but of how you can create a space where um, people want to be and want to collaborate together to do what's best for kids. So thanks for listening. I hope that you continue to um, learn from these podcasts and continue to figure out what's working in your own communities, uh, see what's possible, and ultimately work together to make it happen. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Learner Centered Collaborative Podcast. We want to hear from you, so be sure to share your key takeaways using the hashtag LCC Podcast on social media. If you're enjoying the show, please subscribe on your favorite podcast app and head on over to Apple Podcasts to leave a review to help others find the show. To learn more about Learner Centered Collaborative, head over to learnercentered.org. This episode was hosted by Dr. Katie Martin, produced and edited by Paul Haluszczyk, and web support was provided by Andy McCranny. Thanks again for listening, and catch you on the next episode.